Welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is normally your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every X-Men story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach and Adam. Welcome to the age of X-Men. Man, man, man. <laughs> I can add echoes in the in, when I edit this. You don't have to do it by yourself. Oh, but it's more fun that way. That that's yeah. true. This this is your premier X Man podcast, <laughs> and we we are we are not alone today. We decided as Age of X Man starts on Wednesday that we were going to bring in some big guns to discuss it. Yeah, we have uh, the actual X Mans themselves. Is that what they're calling themselves? <laughs> we <laughs> got Zach are. Thompson and Lonnie Nadler. Zach, Lonnie, how you doing today? doing great Good, and we're actually called the cable boys i think is what people call us oh okay the cable boys i like that that's like the internal things. marvel language that's what lonnie and i are known as is the cable <laughs> boys five whole issues got you the cable boys i i i appreciate that that's that's good yeah i'm into it <laughs> especially when there is a boy cable running around the marvel universe at this point you'd think that would be confusing <laughs> it is well good well good uh so like we mentioned zach and lonnie you guys are doing the age of x-man alpha and omega bookend issues as well as the marvelous x-men which is does it count as the main flagship title for age of x-man Yes. It yeah. Does. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I guess we should probably introduce our voices so people know who we are. Yeah, man. We should have you guys do that. <laughs> okay. Um, this is Zach. I am one half of the X Man Brain Trust. And this is Lonnie. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We are we're in a weird place. Uh, as longtime listeners of the show will know, I have gone from absolutely hating Nate Gray to having a weird symbiotic connection to him. Yeah, and I'm not going to say I love him, but I'm intrigued at this point. So we want to we want to get right into it as we have an entire age of it. So let's let's jump in, Zach Lonnie. Let's start with the big question. What is Age of X-Man? Lonnie, you want to take this bad boy? No. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Age of X-Man uh, is basically a response to Age of Apocalypse, but it is nothing like Age of Apocalypse. Um, it is a shared mutant utopia for all of Marvel's mutants in a way that I don't think we've ever seen before. And as a broad sort of uh, thematic thing, it kind of explores... What happens when the X-Men are no longer hated and feared, but are loved and revered? Hmm. Okay. So, And it's, uh, it's like Age of Apocalypse, mostly in format, in that it is a bunch of different miniseries that are all taking place in uh, the same world. And there's an Alpha and Omega issue to bookend them, like you said. But otherwise, it, 
has no relation to the Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, they couldn't be more different. So I think, to me, that's very interesting because at least, you know, in the initial reaction, just because there's not been a lot of information about Age of X-Men floating around. I, I don't think I have very good idea what's going to happen with it. And I, I like that because being so connected to, you know, the X-Men media world, some stories you not get spoiled for you, but you kind of can see where they're going just based on everything that has to happen. And it's been crickets for Age of X-Men in a very <laughs> interesting way. And I, I don't mean that in the terms of bad reaction to it. Just I don't think people know what to expect with this book. And they certainly don't. <laughs> you guys are making this seem ominous. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. No, it's, it's uh, more so just like I think we're, we're aware that uh, there hasn't been much information communicated. And some people love that. Um, and I think Zach and I are fans of that, but other people seem to want to know everything up front. Wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that X-Men fans can't wait for a story to understand what's going to happen in that story? They have to <laughs> Every single day we get questions from <laughs> random people that are very angry in tone about where their favorite X-Men is and why they don't know <laughs> that information already. It's a lot of, can you tell me where this character is going to be at the end of your story? And mm. what happens to them? No. No. <laughs> I think what's interesting about this is that you're describing it as sort of uh, so different from past uh, alternate universe crossovers. Um, what what do you think is like a core element that makes this different from Age of Apocalypse, Age of X, House of M uh, that, that distinguishes it? Um, I think one of the things that I, I don't know how much they've talked about it, but I'm sure you've seen some of the solicits that relationships are forbidden, um, yes. which, which oh. I think is a pretty core thing that Lonnie and I came in right away. Um, I mean, we can't speak much to the rules of the world, but the rules themselves were devised from Nate's perspective. What are the things that Nate from the ultimate outsider of a group of outsiders is looking and going like, what about these people isn't working? And as often seen in the X-Men stories of the past, relationships are the things that corrupt leaders and, and, and group members to do the wrong thing. So we've removed them entirely. Wow, that's fascinating. I had not heard that. Zach, you had heard that? I, I had, mostly because the covers for uh, Leah Williams' Extremists, mm -hmm. uh, one of them just came out today, and it has... Psylocke and Blob in a forbidden romance, and it's a gorgeous cover. It's just also not what I was expecting from this event. <laughs> yeah, I think well, there's going to be a lot of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I to me again, that's great because I I think for a lot of fans, there's been a feeling of, you know, nostalgia. I know I talked to uh, Mark Guggenheim when he was launching X-Men Gold, and the whole concept beyond, behind that line was, you know, looking at our past to define our future and say, you know, here's what people loved about the X-Men in the past. And while there were definitely some great stories that came out of that relaunch, there was also a feeling of, you know, we've seen some of this before. And I don't think I've seen anything like what you guys are describing in age of x-man and that that has me incredibly intrigued well yeah i mean from the ground up like when we were when we started to build like an alternate universe we're well aware that this is well-trodden territory 
within the world of the X-Men. So mm -hmm. we, we took a really long time in developing how this is going to be different. And like, I can't speak to the specifics of it, but we created four core rules that were consistent across all six books that all books had to adhere to um, and, and built them as up, up as if Nate made those rules. And so you won't hear them specifically stated within the books, but it is, we kind of tried to, we boxed ourselves in to make sure that we didn't do the same thing again. Now, are those kind of stories something that have long appealed to you guys, these alternate universe tales, not just specifically with the X-Men, but in general? Yeah, I think part of the reason they're intriguing is um, because it lets you tell a complete story in a finite amount of issues, uh, whereas a lot of comics, especially when you're writing things like X-Men or big stuff at Marvel, it's continuous stories that uh, have to become serialized with overarching plots and stuff. And working in as what they're calling an alternate universe is uh, liberating in a sense that uh, because it only takes place over several months, we think we're allowed to get away with certain things that we're not allowed to get away with. Uh, maybe if we were doing an ongoing. And so, and that's something we've loved about a lot of uh, Marvel books in the past, the ones that function like one and done's because those are often the ones that people remember. You can talk about great, great runs on books that people have done, but generally speaking it's arcs that people remember or events that people remember that's a really interesting perspective because you know especially with what ifs or um even more recently the battle world minis that came out around secret wars you know when you see writers kind of be allowed to go off the chain and and strike a, a little more of an original tone without feeling like they're tied down by canon or um you know whatever's going to happen you know before and after a series do you feel like you have a lot of freedom here um, in terms of developing this event? Oh, uh, yeah. A scary amount of freedom. Oh, yeah. okay. That's great. It's been fascinating because it's like we've consistently been like, how far can we push this? And the answer has pretty much always been uh, as far as you want to take it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And so it's like we have this mix of uh, – terror and that the book is coming out and people don't know what to expect and it's very different than than x-men events of the past but also this like pure excitement because getting to read it back i'm so fucking proud of the alpha issue and and the first issue of marvelous and all these books that we've helped create and so it might not be what people are expecting but it's so different that i think um it will at least be remembered hopefully in a positive light <laughs> <laughs> people are they're at least going to talk about it when it comes out because it's so different than uh x-men books that have been coming out for the past uh the past year or two i have to echo what uh, zach was saying a few minutes ago in that i think x-men fans are really looking for something fresh and new um so i i find that really exciting one of the things that i think was a strength of your guys's cable run which was a book that you guys had to sell me on during an interview. And I'm very <laughs> glad that you guys are good salesmen because it was dope. But one of the strengths of that book was that it was so – your guys' five issues were so different than what James Robinson and Brisson uh, had been doing on that book beforehand. It was different than what had happened in pretty much any run of Cable beforehand. And that freshness, I think, really – it made that a standout book for a lot of people in this last year. Well, thanks, man. Thank you. 
Yeah, it, I think this is, Zach and I were just talking about this yesterday, this, you know, we, we love Brisson and Rosenberg and, and Kelly Thompson and the work they've been doing, mm-hmm. but we don't want people to feel like we give them the same perspective on the X-Men as they do. And, and we think Age of X-Men really shows who Zach and I are as the storytellers. Whether or not people like that is one thing, <laughs> but I think we're, we're proud of the fact that it stands out as our own as opposed to something that some other writers could have done. And, and I do think that it takes, like, without talking too much about what we're dealing with and Marvelous and the event itself, it kind of takes some of those seeds that we started playing with in past fears and really explores them in, like, a way broader context um, across the entirety of the X-Men. So we're really going to fuck with the past <laughs> in some fun ways. Wow. That, that's bold. That's really exciting. So you guys... You know, you guys are writing Marvelous X-Men and, you know, for Marvel Comics, which is, to me, a pretty bold statement, especially as, you know, Mike Hawthorne's original design sheets have come out for these characters and at least implied that the initial title was Exalted X-Men. So what what led to that shift, if you can speak on that? And how does it feel to have, you know, the Marvel branding on your X-Men book? I crazy (laughs) yeah i i think like um i don't know how much we're allowed to talk about like the original sort of naming structure but we we Uh had um when we originally pitched the event uh we had named all of the the books different things than what they are currently um and there was kind of like an overlying theme between all of the names that uh verged on too religious and so it, oh. we we dialed that back across the board. Okay. Well, I mean, you you already have Jesus walking around with an X tattoo, so you can't get too religious <laughs> past that. I, I think it was actually in yeah. reaction to that that uh, like because he was too Jesus like already that they were just like, nah. Hey, he still was, got to kill uh, the Pope, so uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the right call on their part, though, uh, on Marvel's part and and on our editor's part because. If it was too religious, then, you know, you have this, it becomes so heavy handed to the point where you have this guy who looks like Jesus and then all these books sound religious and it just would have been too much. Yeah. And it, it would have also gave people the wrong idea, I think. Um, yeah. We, we didn't know kind of like the scope of, we, yeah, we didn't know that they were going to, we sent this very ambitious pitch with all of these different books included and, and all the teams and. Um, we didn't really think they were going to say yes to all of it, and then they did. So uh, then we had to kind of go back to the drawing board and be like, okay, now that they like this, how does it all fit together? Well, speaking of how things fit together, reading the end of Uncanny X-Men 10, the the 10th part of Disassembled, um, you know, you go to the last page, Jordan has this editor's note, starts talking about how the age of X-Men is like a utopia, but a lot of the things that you're hinting at, you know, these rules, these, these limitations that the characters may have that Nate Gray has enforced here really have a, a sort of a darker feeling to me. Like I'm, I'm getting that this is not exactly like a perfect place. Is that uncertain feeling something that was a big part of the initial pitch you know, this is paradise, but maybe not. It's actually the opposite. Oh, okay. Um, I'll, I'll, like Lonnie, you want to speak to it? Because that was something that Lonnie was very adamant about from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was like, I fought pretty hard with, uh, 
for this. And I felt very strongly that this had to be a utopia um, as opposed to just a straight dystopia because we've seen that so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, uh, this is one and it is inspired by a lot of dystopian fiction, but something we Zach and I both wanted was to make sure that this, this felt like a place that peace had been achieved, that the X-Men could be themselves without this overlooming threat, at least to begin with, because we need to see what they do in a perfect world and who they become in order for that to have any sort of value or in order to create stakes, to know what they're going to lose. And, and to allude to those rules, those rules were more so for the world building purposes, like kind of like, okay, we picked this thing that happened and then this sort of like timeline now spirals out from this event and here are the four ways that the world changed since that moment. Oh, okay. It's, okay. It's also this idea that uh, having rules is often perceived of as like perhaps totalitarian, but the reality is if you want to have a peaceful existence, there are going to be things that you have to give up and there are going to have to be certain rules or laws to abide by. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're oppressive. They can be sometimes. They can go into oppression. Um, but we wanted to look at, at what it means for the X-Men to, to live in a peaceful world and what, they're, what they will be willing to sacrifice uh, for that to last. Hmm. Um, all right. This is going to kind of stem from this. If we go back to Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, you go on their honeymoon they get zapped into the future and they were playing in the water. If you, we go to the end of uncanny X-Men 10 and re, uh, listeners, if you, if you haven't read uncanny X-Men 10, you really shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Um, but <laughs> at the end of that issue, uh, X-Men has seemingly made the X-Men vanish and is laying in the shore. You know, the waves are lapping up against his body. Um, are we, and I only ask this because you guys have a real good track record with writing excellent horror. I'm curious, are we looking at like a Jacob's Ladder situation where we're inside X-Man's head or are we, am I allowed to know that yet? The answer is a lot more complicated than you might think. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> All right. That's a good answer. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to simultaneously give a no and a no comment. Oh, I like that. All right. Okay. This is this is like trying to dissect Lost back in 2007 <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. Which is uh, great. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> no, that's that's good to hear. So one of the things that I th- I've heard you guys bring up in this interview and then other interviews is, you know, what the X-Men do when they find peace. Now, for for X-Men, which, you know, it's been a superhero comic. It, it is a superhero comic. And for 50 years, they've had to have, you know, eight pages of punching in every issue. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's intriguing. There is there is still some, but it's not it's not like it's been in the past. So I bring that up only because there's been a there's been a thing that's been floating around in you know fan chatter about comics in general about sometimes they just want to sit down and have hangout issues all the time they they would just rather have 
characters just sitting around talking and doing stuff and not to say that there's not action or conflict going on but not the big superhero stories which makes how you're describing this very interesting and feel closer to that vein on books that have like i guess more i'm going at is what kind of books would you describe this you know similar to more of a hangout or i mean first i would just want to say that zach and i if we could we would write x-men books with zero fighting ever yeah exactly (laughs) every issue would never have a fight (laughs) that'd be great yeah but that unfortunately not even unfortunately it's it's just that's the nature of the medium and sometimes the medium has to dictate the content but to go back to like the the reference point like one of the things we were like uh you know we're huge fans of tom king's vision Mm -hmm. um that was something that we really uh kind of head in our heads as we started to craft this uh, world. Um, Miracle Man uh, was another huge sort of inspiration. Um, yeah, particularly can... the Gaiman Buckingham run on that after Alan Moore uh, mm. left the book. We've dissected that multiple times and kind of uh, talked about that a lot. Um, I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, uh, reading a lot of X-Men stuff and, and figuring out what like what our reaction to it was because it's not often um, that after you've only written like five issues of one single X-Men character that they're like, Hey, um, here's like, here's the keys to the kingdom. You can <laughs> kind of do whatever the hell you want. And so we were just kind of like, it's like we fully took the call about this thinking that we were going to get asked to do something like, we had just finished the, uh, or not even, we had just started actually, the apocalypse backups in X-Men black mm-hmm. and uh, we're like expecting to get maybe like a one shot or something. And then mm-hmm. they're like, Hey, um, we want you to do this thing. And you have all of these characters at your disposal. We had like a spreadsheet with like 65 X-Men on it. And they're just like, um, and if you can, we'd like to come up with at least five books. And we were just wow. like, and then we got the phone and we were just like, okay, <laughs> holy f- what do we do? And, but it presented this really interesting opportunity, right? Cause we were like, okay, what are, what are these, what are X-Men books that we've really wanted to see in a really long, like as longtime readers. And so we we're really able to go back to the drawing board and be like, well, what if we had like an X-Force like book, but they didn't do black ops work, you know, like what if hmm. they, they were. And it's like that became the extremists off that little idea, right? Stuff like that, where it was basically like, how do we think about the things that we've uh, really craved to see in the world of the X-Men, but in, in, a, in a new and interesting way? Um, so, And yeah, on that topic, I think, I mean, there's so much X-Men that Zach and I read as, as research for this. But uh, for me, one of the biggest things one of the biggest arcs and stories that I liked was uh, Mike Carey's run on X-Men Legacy, yep. um, which is often not talked about, but I, like, I thought it was amazing, and I forced Zach to read it as I was reading it, and that became pretty inspirational for yeah, us. Yeah, that's a good reference point for Age of X-Men, for sure. I just got Adam last week to finally read Supernovas. <laughs> Don't embarrass that me. Run. <laughs> it's a matter of public record. We talked about it on air. I know, I know. Everybody picks on me about this. Um, well, you guys are kind of answering a question that we wanted to ask about what things you uh, found influential 
um, and developing this event. So it sounds like this is a mixture of both classic X-Men canon or uh, overlooked, let's say, um, and then, you know, some more avant-garde type storytelling. Um, were these the kind of stories that you gravitated to as readers as you were growing up? Or, you know, were you more into like the super fight them up and beat them up stories of the, like 90s or whatever? The latter, probably. I mean, yeah. like, I my first comics were Age of Apocalypse. Um, oh, really? So, yeah. That's so like, I, yeah, well, like I, I was only six years old when that event was coming out. Right. And so my older brother just had all these crazy back issues and he was like, here, take this read it and i was just like this x-man guy is the fucking coolest guy <laughs> <laughs> and like you know uh, the irony isn't lost on me that here we are like 25 years later and this is happening um i you know like i wish that growing up i read like complex superhero narratives but the reality was i was just looking for people punching each other harder than they did the last issue yeah, that sounds like X-Man. <laughs> I think for me, it, it was a bit of both because I grew up uh, similar to Zach in that I would just go to the store and buy X-Men or Spider-Man books. I had no idea what they were. I was buying random issues and I just thought it was cool because the characters were cool and fighting people. Um, but at the same time, I grew up uh, uh, on the east east side of Canada in Ontario where there's French immersion and a lot of the books I was reading to learn French were like Tintin and Asterix and Obeliques. Mm. And so... Mm-hmm. I got a mix of like European Bay days mixed with X-Men and Spider-Man books. And I think that sort of speaks a lot to my sensibilities as an adult. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Zach, I know you wanted to ask about X-Men. We should, we should probably deep dive deep on, uh, on the I don't know how deep we're there. going to go, but <laughs> you know, t- last year, 2018 was a whirlwind year for Nate Gray starting with appearing in, you know, people saying, hey, we need to get this character back existing. And then you guys actually making that happen, bringing him back in your cable run to now him being the center of the relaunch of Uncanny X-Men and then into an entire universe. Yeah, we don't know how this happens. (laughs) Why do you let it keep happening? Uh, I mean, like, honestly, like, we, like, we our first phone call at Marvel with the editor in chief was like, we want to bring back X-Men. And they were just like, nobody wants that. That's never going to happen. <laughs> and that was almost like two years ago. <laughs> now we're just like, well, <laughs> uh, I have some bad news for you in the future. Everybody wants X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess for me, I'm very curious how you went about, you know, taking this character that had, let, let's let's say some potential, especially at the end of his run with some great ideas from that Warren Ellis uh, Counter X era to where he is now, where he has, you know, this kind of defined you know role of being the outsider of outsiders and trying to find some sort of way to have peace. How did all that come about from your guys' perspective of transitioning him into who he is now. I, I think it's sort of exactly what you said. It's, it's He's been treated by people and by characters in the X-Men universe as sort of this silly, headstrong kid that isn't to be taken seriously. But if you read the, that Counter-X stuff in those last uh, you know, dozen or so issues of that run, 
that Warren Ellis was doing and then the stuff that picked up after him, it's someone who started treating him in a completely different way um, and very intelligently and very deftly. And then that sort of got lost somewhere along the way. And then we are trying to, and, and I think what um, they were trying to do with Uncanny is sort of pick up those roots again. And we're definitely, Zach and I are definitely going back to uh, the Warren Ellis stuff more so than anything else and trying to treat him with a bit more gravitas than he's been treated in the past. Yeah. And, and almost like, you know, I think one of the things that we kind of realized in doing this is that he's essentially the Superman of the, the, the mutant universe right like he he's so far and above everything that um even the the simple idea of like trying to relate to other mutants would be alien to him because he just doesn't see things the same way as everyone he can't it really seems like you guys have just such a a respect for the the concept of this character um i love the idea that you want to bring something that has been really i think treated with a lot of scorn almost by X-Men fans and it transform it into something that has a lot more value. Um, and I, I think that disassembled did a pretty good job of leading into that. How much conversations did you guys have with, uh, the writing trio to, you know, make that transition from his appearance to what you guys are doing? So we, we spent a good chunk of time when we were first developing this, speaking to the writing team of uncanny they kind of, uh, by the time we were brought in, I think there was uh, probably three issues of Uncanny scripted, and they knew where things were kind of going. And um, so, like, they knew X-Man was already the villain and, and everything that was kind of, like, going on in Disassembled. But once we came in and started working on our world, we started talking to them about ways that they could kind of put threads from our, the story we're building into disassembled. So they kind of dovetail nicely with one another. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we also want to make sure that they're treated equally, but separately. So it's like, you know, you don't have to read disassembled to go into age of X-Man. Um, nor do you have to go through those issues and be like, Oh, you know, there's all the hints for what's about to happen. We wanted to make sure that they functioned as separate stories, but we, we made sure that we were working in line with what they were setting up so it felt organic. And then also just working with uh, Rosenberg to ensure that once you know there's a transition, once this event ends, that that dovetails really well too. So we were really brought into the fold in a, in a real way that felt um, like we had a seat at the table in planning uh, the future for the mutants of the Marvel Universe, and that was really cool well that that would be another one of my questions is all right so you guys are integral to planning this event does the ending of your story sort of dictate where other writers or even yourselves would have to pick up i'll I'll say this we worked closely with math matthew rosenberg to ensure that the ending of our book dovetails really nicely with what's going on in uncanny at that time nice okay Uh uh-oh Guys, that sound means it's time to play Is It In The Age of X-Man. This is the game where we're going to ask <laughs> oh, no. 10 things are or aren't in The Age of X-Man. Lonnie, Zach, are you guys ready? Oh, I'm ready. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to be very clear. This is all canonical. 
And we will be editing the Marvel Wikia page for Age of X-Men <laughs> with this information. So just understand the stakes that are at play here. Okay, I'm ready. Great. The stakes are high. <laughs> All right. Is it in the Age of X-Men? Sperry's boat shoes. Uh, yeah, yes. I think that's all Colossus wears in his downtime. <laughs> Amazing. Is it in the Age of X-Men, that picture of Wolverine that he gave to Nightcrawler for his birthday that one time? <laughs> yeah, it's in, the, it's in the Museum of Mutant History. <laughs> Perfect. Is it in the Age of X-Men... The 2007 limited edition Mountain Dew Gamer Fuel Halo 3 edition finished the fight. No. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> is it in the Age of X-Men, Krakoa, the island that walks like a man? Uh, probably somewhere. Okay. <laughs> is it in the Age of X-Men, Jeff Lemire? Uh, he's, no. he's there in my spirit. No, I, I wish he was. Yeah. <laughs> Is it in the Age of X-Men, the Detective Comics Comics Corporation? <laughs> yeah, they, no. yeah, they went in a This business. is a utopia, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> is it in the Age of X-Men, vape pens? Uh, yeah, Nightcrawler smokes jewels no. wherever he goes. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, Nightcrawler's a huge jewel freak. He loves mango jewels. That was X-Men's first rule was no vaping in the Age of X-Men. Yeah, there's no no vaping in the Age of X-Men. Is it in the X Age of X-Men, the Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger film Twins? Oh, yeah. it's They watch it every it's night. It's been remade. Yeah. With Nightcrawler in both roles. Yeah. <laughs> Is it in the Age of X-Men, Poutine? Uh, of course. Yeah, it's all they eat. I already said, this is a Ukrainian. <laughs> well, and only poutine and pizza. Yeah, troughs of poutine everywhere. <laughs> and the final thing we need to know, is it in the Age of X-Men... The Pixies shirt that Nate Gray once owned. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's framed in his house. <laughs> See, because he doesn't wear a shirt ever at this point. So I was very concerned about that shirt. It's oddly stuck in my mind for too long. <laughs> it was a it was a weird great moment in X-Men history. That was that was no, a moment. It, it is a moment. Um <laughs> so Great job, guys. Um, I think we, we won also, our prize. Adam, yeah, what we, prize do we have for them? I didn't know we had a prize. Is it a baby? <laughs> is it a baby tee with the Pixies logo on it? <laughs> Possibly. I'm going to Google real quick and see if that exists, but we'll move to it. Um, well, we do have some listener questions. Before we get to them, uh, Zach, I wanted to go off topic with uh, from Age of X-Men for a second. I wanted to ask about your upcoming original graphic novel, Replacer. Mm-hmm. Um which is a horror take on, and you can correct me wrong if I got the pitch wrong here, but um, on being a child, it's based on you being a kid when your father had a stroke. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Whenever I was seven, uh, my dad suffered a a huge debilitating stroke and is still to this day uh, paralyzed on the entire right side of his body. Um, Oh my God. So this is something that I had been stewing with for a little while and kind of uh, wanted to, to kind of do like a, 
graphic novel that was a, a meditation on like what tragedy does to you as a child and kind of view it through the lens of horror to kind of make it um, a little bit more relatable because it's like, it's really difficult to kind of relay the experience of what it's like to be seven and be like, Hey, this person's in my house, but I don't really remember them as my parent. Um, they just seem like this other person. They seem mm-hmm. like they've been replaced. So um, that was a pitch I've been sitting on for a few years. And then I submitted it to Aftershock and they're like, hell yeah, let's make it. So it comes out in April. I, I got to say personally, um, I, I'm very excited to read this story. Um, my mother had a stroke and survived several years ago, um, recovered in, you know, sort of a miraculous form. I, I'm still not sure how she's even alive, to be honest. So I'm excited to read this story, but I'm also just curious, you know, it takes a lot of courage to kind of dig into yourself autobiographically like that. Um, what was your decision-making process for moving forward with a story like this that, you know, delves back into something that is about your father? Um, I think I didn't think it was going to be as traumatic as it actually ended up being. Um, okay. And I, I'm sorry to hear that uh, you, you suffered a similar thing in your family. It's it's tough, right? It's a, <clears throat> it's a way that... Um, it kind of changes your outlook on the world forever. And mm-hmm. I think that for me, I had to like talk to my mom and talk to my brothers and kind of like unpack that. And I didn't really know how much I was affected by it until I finished the script. And then I just, I literally wept. Um, oh. my, my partner had to like hold me while I was just like, I don't know what's wrong. And she was like, I'm, I think you're processing trauma. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it's there in the page. And I think if anything, I, I'm hoping I wrote an article for vice about something very similar a couple of years ago. And, uh, the, the response I got from that was a lot of people said, you really helped me deal with my own feelings or you really hit the nail on the head for how I felt about this whole experience. And so that's the hope is that I can give people something to hold on to and make them realize that if they're feeling, um, similar thoughts about, resentment or anger or confusion that they can find this piece of literature and and see connection in it and see that they're not alone. Uh, that sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Lonnie, do you have anything coming out? Non like, you know, big two that we should know about? Uh, I do, but I can't. Oh, okay. Not, not revealed yet. Okay. Um, all right, Zach, do you want to jump in with listener questions? We got some really good ones. We do want to jump in with listener questions. So we put out the call and we actually got a pretty good response on listener questions we're not going to get to all of them so guys thank you for sending them in regardless uh but these are the ones that we pulled up so first up comes from uh robert secundus at robert secundus on twitter and he asked a fun question he he specified that it was a fun question he thinks it's a fun question he thinks we'll decide But given that you folks are now the experts in the X office on the subject, to which circles of hell were Cyclops and Wolverine condemned to while they died? Ooh. <laughs> um, I would say Wolverine was definitely sent to the circle of wrath. Yeah. And uh, let's say Cyclops got sent to lust. See, that Ooh. tracks. That's, That's where I was going one. with him. <laughs> <laughs> I would also say he might be in treachery. But yeah, depends on who you are. Between the two, half of his body is in treachery, half is in lust. <laughs> you guys get brownie points for knowing the circles of hell. By the way, nice job. Wrote, wrote wrote a book about it. It. 
Oh, did you? I'm feeling Why did dumb. you not do your research, Adam? <laughs> I'm so dumb. It's yeah, the sorry. one of those okay. I haven't read. I just Zach, know it exists. Uh, okay, most, most other people haven't read it. Zach's going to edit that out, and I will go <laughs> Oh, no, tomorrow. that's saying it. That's saying it. This is good content. <laughs> it, actually, it actually comes out in trade tomorrow. Her oh, perfect. Percent. Excellent timing. I will pick it up. <laughs> um, all right. So one wheelchair X uh, on Twitter asks, if you had the power to retcon one thing in X-Men continuity, what would it be and why? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> can retcon anything. I would change the original five. Ooh. Two. Um, I would put someone else in there just to just to see how things develop differently. I like okay. that idea. Lonnie, you got one? Uh, I think there was some... I don't know if it was part of a run or a miniseries that was sponsored by Pizza Hut. Yes. Yes, we're aware. We did a whole episode about it. <laughs> yeah, I would I would just get rid of that. <laughs> oh, hold on. Oh. Hold on. Those are very good. Uh, okay. Those are comics where Cyclops goes into cyberspace and chastises Bishop for thinking it might be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not great. Agree to disagree. Agree okay to disagree on that. On this. Okay on that. <laughs> uh, Will Hartwell at Uncle Shouty on Twitter asked, if you could reintroduce any character without any continuity baggage, something you guys are fairly familiar with, who would it be? Uh, I'm going to say Cable. Old Cable? Uh, yeah, Full like cable? OG Cable, like, you know. Like go back and kind of rewrite the uh, rewriting of the timeline. <laughs> ah, I like that idea. Start from scratch. Okay. Yeah, because I, I think like if you could if you could go back and change everything about the no time travel ever happened in the X Men, I think it would be an interesting place to introduce it with Cable. Um, but hmm. now we're too far gone. Yeah, yeah, we're that one's uh, already happened. So Lonnie, anybody else? Just Cable. Um. I would say Cable or uh, maybe Legion, just because he sort of keeps getting the short end of the season. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, love, I guess we I don't love, we don't really know what happened to Legion right now, right? We'll get there, mm. I'm sure. We know. <laughs> <laughs> See, I used to before I started this, I ran a podcast called Legion Quest, where we reviewed the series Legion as it was coming out, mm. and. From there, I've grown a very deep affection for the character, and have just wanted so much more than we've gotten. So I'd be, Trust I'd be down. And we, we know, yeah, we know where, where you're coming from. We're, we're, we're big fans, and we hope one day we get to uh, put our. Marvel we originally on pitched Legion. That was the first thing that we pitched at Marvel. Oh, okay. Like, but, look. Your guys' Legion sounds pretty up my alley. I don't know what yeah. the pitch was, but... It was weird. Yes, yeah. as it should yeah. be. <laughs> should be weird. Yeah, we're still All hoping right. that we get to do it one day, so we're just going to sit on it forever. That'd be, that'd be something I'd be looking forward to. Now, Aurora Monroe Appreciation Account at Ali Steger asked... Can we expect to see Medius in the future stuff down the line? Also, besides Nature Girl, what other students would you have you taken an interest in? So, uh, Medius, he is from your guys' cable run. He was the antagonist, mm -hmm. I think is the best way to describe him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
We, uh, we don't know how much we're going to be seeing of him in the. We'd like to see more future. of him, um, but I mean, it, but we'd like to see more. It's of kind him. of, it's up in the air at the moment. Okay. Um, other students, Glob Herman, fucking love yeah. Glob Herman. Yeah. Glob is finally Glob getting the respect he deserves, and I'm very oh, excited he, about that. He's got a Glob's big role to play in the Age of Vets, man. Yes. Yeah, I think Brisson has loved Glob longer than anyone, and he is writing the book he was born for. Yeah, like <laughs> Next Gen was designed from the ground up to be a Glob Herman book. Yay! <laughs> and he gets chickens. <laughs> Oh, when yeah. Brisson came on the podcast, the first thing we did, the first thing we did was say, we're going to give everyone the content they crave, and we're going to talk about Glob Herman for a good 10 minutes now. <laughs> yeah. I like Rockslide, too, and Anole. Um, those are both yes. very interesting characters. Um, if I could go back yeah. in time and resurrect uh, Basilisk, um, I, I would. I loved him from New X-Men, and uh, I think he's still dead. I don't know, though. That's a good question. That's a uh, good question uh, for every era of the X-Men. I think he's still dead. Yeah, yeah Are he's they still, still dead. dead? Uh, all right, next question is from Nir Ravel at Ravel underscore Nir on Twitter. Uh, as the biggest concentration of X-Men experts, could you please try to come to a concrete decision? Is Nate Gray actually a fan of the Pixies? I'm just going to say for the record, my statement has been consistently that he is not a fan of the pixies the only pixie song he knows is where is my mind and that's because it was at the end of fight club (laughs) Uh, i would contest that and say that nate is probably aware of not only every pixie song but every song that has ever existed yes whoa whoa but does he he a fan though that's the important thing does he think surfer rosa he doesn't understand the concept of liking (laughs) (laughs) he's above it i like that okay all right there you go uh at genetic ghost on twitter uh asked is there anyone you wanted to pull into the age of x-man that you weren't able to i um only one character and i think if i said who it is it would be a huge spoiler so Okay. But like, you know, like I said, we got our pick of like 65 different characters, so I'm not complaining. I mean, look, that's only scratching the surface of X-Men characters, though. Yeah, but I mean, like we've like, again, we've never been given a, a spreadsheet that's like, take your pick, make your teams. What do you want to do? And we're like, OK. It really does sound like a dream. I mean, it also has got to be a lot of work, but uh, I think a lot of people would jump at a chance like that. Yeah, I feel like we, I've been in a coma for like the last six months. <laughs> I'm actually 14. I'm working at Burger King right now. Uh, all right. And we've got one last listener question from Bethany W. Pope on Twitter. Um, will Nightcrawler's immortality carry over into Age of X-Men or will he somehow get his soul back through this story? But the more important question right here, this is this is the key part. This is why we asked it. <laughs> will he regain his glorious beard? <laughs> um, I can tell you that the beard is in there somewhere. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And no one has a soul in Hollywood, so... Ah, all right. So it right that's in. Nice that's perfect. Piece. I like that. Well, that's that's all we got for listener questions. Uh, and that's kind of our show. Uh, Zach, Lonnie, where can people find you online? 
Where, where can people find your stuff? What else do you got going on that's not this glorious age of X-Man? Um, you can find me on Twitter at lawn underscore monster. And uh, what do we have, Zach? We have the trade for her infernal descent comes out January twenty third next week, yeah, or January thirtieth. We're unsure. And that's a five issue miniseries that is a contemporary retelling of Dante's Inferno. And then we have the uh, trade paperback coming out for our series last year called Come Into Me, which is a very strange uh, body horror comic that was uh, an homage to David Cronenberg, uh, trying to update some of those themes of technology and how they uh, fuse with the human body in interesting ways in our uh, modern world. Yeah, it's also friggin' dope, guys. Go read that book. (laughs) Thank you. Um, and then other than that, we've just got some creator on things that we're working on, um, kind of in the shadows, nothing ready to be announced just yet. Um, and some other things that we're working on at Marvel that we cannot talk about at all. So, Hmm. I like the secrecy. Yeah, it's fun. It's one of the best (laughs) parts of the job. That is great. Uh, and I think that about does for this interview. I'd like to say again, thank you. And thank you to our supporters on Patreon who make interviews like this possible. If you go over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files, you can toss in some money. Normally we'll turn one of your suggestions into an entire episode. So you can make us review that story where Nate Gray wears a pixie shirt. It's called Messiah Complex. Someone please put that on the list. I'm dying to make Adam actually read it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, But beyond that, you can find everything I do at Xavier Files. That's where we have the latest news, interviews, updates, just stuff that's going on about X-Men. Go check it out. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Xavier Files. Adam, where can people find you? All right, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. New pages of Bish and Jubes Attack on the Mansion. We're getting close to the end of the story. Are coming out every X-Men Monday on adamrec.tumblr.com. And I just put out a um, a zine that's based on the meme of like, what's your Rob Liefeld persona? Um, it went out originally through the Patreon. So if you want to do that, you go to patreon.com slash Adam um, Or I'm going to put it up on the big cartel too. So you get all of the personas that I did um, based on recommendations. And you get a little mini zine of sketches that I made when I was 11 years old in 1991. So uh, if you want to get that, it's going to be real cheap on the, on the big cartel. So go check that out. Adam, you understand that when you made those sketches, I may not have even been born, right? <laughs> I'm so old. I'm the grandpa here on X Twitter. What can I say? <laughs> you, you are such an old man. It's very scary. Uh, mm. But uh yeah i guess to wrap this thing up guys age of x-men alpha comes out in two days if you're listening to this the day it comes out but it comes out on wednesday go friggin' pick it up and embrace this glorious age that we are living in (laughs) the age of x-men but until then this has been bal the atom and we hope you survived the experience get it